Esther 5. I am recording now, Josh. There we go. So Esther 5. Uh, last week, had the story where Mordecai does come to Esther and, and alerts her to what's going on. Most likely Esther um, did not know, obviously, because of uh, her being in her separate uh, house. Uh, you could call it a harem. I don't know if you want to really call it that, but you could call it that. Where she, her and all the other ladies that uh, the king liked or had, even the queen was in her separate spot. So she didn't know everything that was going on. Mordecai comes and tells her what's happening. The law that was being formed that they're going to kill all the Jews. And here uh, we see what happens. Uh, again, I apologize. We're in the midst of moving, and my laptop, it is at home, and I have a slideshow. You could look at the piece of paper if you want, but uh, I don't think I want to pass those around to everybody. So, um, But this is the day in the life of, a, of the prime minister. We see Haman here. Uh, we call him his prime minister. You call him his right-hand man. But this is where in this guy, he gets himself, uh, he the title I have is an evil man gathers enough rope to hang himself. And he's getting ready to kill these Jews. But what happens is all those things that he established for them and for Mordecai specifically becomes his punishment. And, you know, uh, in recent years, you, you can see the news media, they all have a heyday reporting uh, either questionable and usually illegal behavior of, of well-known people, with whether it be politicians or preachers or presidents uh, or financial uh, you know, people who are up in a financial, uh, I don't know what you call it, financial royalty, financial high spots. Uh, you can think back to, not the name of us, we're alive, us, including me, Watergate uh, with Nixon. Uh, you can think of, uh, I can think of back in other things, Deflategate, we have with uh, Tom Brady. Uh, I remember a couple years back with the iPhone, it was Bengate, where the, the phone's bent. I don't know, is that, is that true? Um, uh, either way, these reporters, they've, uh, they, they keep busy, these investigative reporters, digging up news to satisfy the public's appetite for scandal. And there's the news media just for that. There's, uh, there's news con uh, conglomerates. You know, you have Team Z. That's all they do is trying to find this crazy news. Like, this person tied their shoe today, and there's like a video of it. Hey, you tied your shoe. You know, it's just weird stuff. Usually trying to find scandals. Like, oh, this person rubs shoulders with another person, so they're like, uh, he's having an affair with her now. All this, they just want some scandal. And, you know, uh, all this activity that these journalists have done, they've accomplished nothing else, but they, uh, they'll have some things where people, you know, they'll try to uncover scandals and the wrong that people have done. And, you know, uh, they also do bring up wrong. And I think that's good that we find out the wrong of things. And people, and we know the Bible says in Numbers 32, be sure your sin will find you out. And, you know, people may succeed for a time covering up wrong things, but eventually the truth services and it comes out. And uh, everybody finds out what's going on and they know what the actual truth is. And, uh, you know, I think of uh, in Psalm 7, I know you're not in there, you're in Esther, but um, in Psalm 7, the verses there makes me think of Haman. It says, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and is fallen to, into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. I'm like, pate. That's his own doings, the things that he did. And the story there is of someone who digged this pit trying to entrap someone else, and he falls into it. And Haman is that person who does this. He tries to, I, I hate Mordecai, I despise Mordecai, I have this hatred inside of me, this anger inside of me that I built up, and I want Mordecai to die. And those gallows that he builds, he's the one who has to end up being on them. And, you know, uh, it's like the boomerang. The boomerang's going to come back, going to come back? No? 
Okay, going to come back to you, all right, if we want to sing Patra Pirate, but I'm not going to do that today. Uh, you know, the law of retribution in this world, you know, everybody's like, oh, karma. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Karma is not a thing, okay, all right? But there is things that God does judge, especially with the sin that we commit. And the law of retribution in this world, a person who seeks to destroy others usually ends up destroying himself. And Haman did not realize it, but he was setting himself up for destruction. And I see some things that, uh, four things that begin to work together to destroy uh, Haman. And then let me pray and then we'll get into uh, chapter 5 here. Heavenly Father, you're good to us. Um, God, um, we're grateful for uh, just the vision you've given to us in Scripture, God, things that we can apply to our life. God, this is the living uh, Word of God. God, it is uh, something that we can search, and God, we continually find truth. God, there's conviction inside this. God, your Holy Spirit moves when we read it. God, I pray just be with me right now. God, again, continue to fill me with your Holy Spirit's power and your wisdom. God, help me to say the correct things. Uh, May we lift up your word and do your word justice, God. We love you so much, God, in your name. Amen. So look in uh, chapter 5, look in verse number 1. It says, Now it came to pass on the third day, that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the house, the gate of the house. So telling him they're on different sides, she's going to come and find him. Uh, And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. The king held out Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. We know, of course, uh, if they were to approach uh, him, he had to put his scepter out, if not, off with her head and... uh, that, that would that'd be rolling on the ground, I guess, and new new queen uh, would be found. Verse 3, Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given uh, thee to the half of the kingdom. What do you want? Just tell me. I'll give you anything, all the way up to half of whatever I have. You can have anything that you're asking for right now. This is how much Hazarus loved uh, Queen Esther. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day into the banquet that I prepared for him. And the, then the king said, Cause Haman, uh, excuse me, cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So we see some things that are working to get Haman to where he doesn't even realize it, but he's destroying himself. The first thing I see is, uh, I see divine sovereignty. Uh, I don't have my slides. Uh, Nathan said he was going to do interpretive uh, dance to show all the slides. I was trying to figure out what he's going to do for divine sovereignty. But then I didn't want to picture that. I didn't want to defile God in that vision. Uh, so I said, thank you for not. Okay. Uh, you know, Esther was concerned. Uh, so point number one, I see that Haman was going to destroyed is divine sovereignty. We understand that God was in control. In the midst of struggles, hardship, trials, we see God working. God's name not mentioned in the book, but we know that God is doing this work here. Uh, you know, Esther was concerned whether the king would acknowledge her, whether he would grant her audience. I don't know if I'll be alive. But if I perish, I perish. We know that great, strong statement that she makes. And uh, it could be taken one way or the other. If I died, I, or I'm going to die, so should I go? Whatever way it's going to happen, or, or either way she does it. And she knew that it could cause this immediate uh, execution. And she knew Hazarus was so unpredictable. If I catch him on his bad day, I could be dead. Just like Vashti. She caught Hazarus on his bad day. And she was not dead, but she was put away. Never to be heard of again. Uh, even though he wanted to have her again, he, he had this desire for Vashti. He, uh, but the other people said, no, well, let's bring the queen. Get a new one. But she knew that would happen. So the Jews, again, had been fasting for three days before this happened. And on the third day is when this happens. And she goes and uh, I'm trying to save her people. 
And, you know, what Esther did ranks among, I feel like, one of the greatest acts of faith in the Bible. Um, you know, it wasn't just the Jews, uh, you know, to pray and have faith that God would work. Someone had to act upon those prayers. And it took Esther. Uh, we know that when we, we say James a while back, and, and James talks about how uh, faith without works is dead. We, they have this faith, this belief that God will save, but then they have to do something on top of that faith. Sometimes we have this faith that God's going to do these things, but also, God, we ought to have works that show our faith. Uh, not to give us our faith, but to show our faith. And here she's doing that. Uh, Esther was not operating on, on blind faith. She knew that God had, uh, had a covenant. I'm going to protect the Jews. She said, I know that he's going to protect us, so I'm going to act on that faith, that, that covenant that God has made. And she knew that the God of Israel was forgiving. She would hear them that humbled themselves, and she knew that God would care for them and that God would protect them. And she knew that uh, God was allowing Jews to be still alive and then to go back and build the temple. And she said, I know that God will not let me perish. You know, uh, unlike Esther, you know, when we come to the throne of grace, when we come to pray, we don't have to wonder what our father thinks about us. Esther, I'm sure, had this thought because they did not have the cross. They had, did I offer a sacrifice? Did I take care of us? Did I sacrifice on time this last year? I know that I was trying to hide that so everybody didn't see it. Did I, did, that make, did I make sure it happened? That was in her mind, I'm sure, when she went and talked to prayer with God. Whereas we know that all of our sins are covered by the grace and the blood of God. We don't have to think about that. We, you know, we know that God always loves us. We know that God always welcomes us into his presence. You know, one of the greatest needs in our church and in the church today is for people or intercessors to pray faithfully for a lost world, to pray for our church that, uh, a church that desperately needs revival. So grateful that we started the year off with the prayer and fasting we had here. Uh, I know in my life, bigger than you probably, most of you know, that was a giant change in my life during that time. During the revival, man, that revival week, God answered every question I had for us making this giant leap of faith. And each night, God answered that. And I know that we need that continual prayer. Uh, we need the intercessors. Isaiah 59 says, And he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. You know, when the needs are so great in our life and the privilege of prayer is so wonderful, I wonder what God thinks about. And I don't think he has, I don't know, he could have bad thoughts about us. Why we don't go to prayer. Why we don't reach out. Why we don't run to him with our problems. Uh, John Newton wrote that, he said in a song, and I'm not singing it, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. You know, I, I think of this, that we can come to this king, our king eternal, and ask him for whatever we want. Esther came and, and has her said, you can have anything, up to the half of the kingdom. So that's not everything, but I mean, anything you could think of. It's, my kingdom was from India to Ethiopia, it was giant that that Persian empire had reached. Esther prepares herself to meet the king. Uh, just like if you were to meet a president or you wanted to go meet the queen at Buckingham Palace, you probably would not go and wear the same thing you were wearing at the picnic yesterday. I know I wouldn't. I mean, flip-flops and, and shorts, I don't think I'd go. Uh, even if it was a president I didn't like. You know, when we, uh, I don't know, this was probably 10 years ago now. I don't remember. It was before we had kids, so I know that, uh, at least 10 years ago. Went to D.C. and got a tour of the White House. Uh, I was highly disappointed. I only got to see like three rooms. Didn't get to see the Rose Garden. I was so mad about that. It's literally like three rooms, kick you out the back door and see ya. Like, what? But you know, Obama was president. 
don't really have much respect for Obama, but I would have been privileged to meet him. Now, I didn't dress up for that tour, especially because my representative gave me a 7 a.m. tour. Like, you realize that's 4 a.m. in California time. You represent us as people, but you give me a 4 a.m. tour? Like, uh, that was, um, he's not a representative anymore. He used to, no, no, uh, he's an Escondido now. I don't actually remember. Either way, uh, Daryl Issa, there we go. Anyways, it wasn't him, it was his assistant, and they don't think, but, uh, you know, if you're going to meet any one of them, you would dress up. You know, if you're going to go, uh, you know, the president or the queen or uh, somebody high up, you would you would be prepared to meet the king. And we ought to be the same way we prepare to meet God. We come to him. And the king, of course, recognizes the queen and invites her to share his petition. See God king. We know that, uh, there are many of us in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. We know another verse in, in Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. We understand that God was in control. And he was in control of King Ahasuerus at this point. He's one helping. God's sovereignty is what's helping set up to destroy Haman. He destroys this evil man who every Jew at this point thought, what's going on, God? You told us you were going to protect us. And they got so built up and they were, uh, they were perplexed, as it talks about in uh, chapter 3. They're like, what's going on? Are we going to die? And then God's sovereignty, God's plan, even though it was not stated his name in here, is setting up to destroy Haman. And, you know, Esther, we think, why doesn't Esther right away in this point say, hey, King Hazarus, this is what Haman's doing. Why didn't she bring this? Because that's what I, my thought was. But she knew that God had a plan. So she, a couple things I see. Esther didn't immediately bring this because it wasn't the right time. The king was probably unprepared to receive this news. Your number one officer is trying to destroy me. And he didn't, you know, none of them knew that the, she was a Jew. He, she, it was not the right time for him to do that. The king was not prepared to hear that. Uh, he probably would have thought this was an act of treason. Oh, this is just the queen trying to get favor and destroy my right-hand man. Or right hand, yeah, this is my right hand. All right, uh, trying to destroy him. You know, uh, we see it wasn't the right place for her to intercede. I'm sure there's some other, uh, the word I think they're using here is retainers. Other people are in this room probably stopped. And said, well, this Esther would have took Simon because I wanted to try to crack power. They didn't let shake out. And so in the right, Esther, I need just came, came with me. And it was just the two of them. So I can't have anybody else going back. So it was not the right time, the right place. She knew that, again, they just wanted to have Haman as the only person present. And uh, she, she, it was the right time for her to put one more event. Uh, that was the event that takes that night. The cat be asleep. And we'll get into a minute. God planned this to work out this Haman. Uh, sometimes not easy for us to become a response to our struggles and our trials. And if you didn't hear Wednesday night's message, I'm going to give a shout out to myself because that was a message that was so burdened on my heart. It was so convicting to me. Uh, so if it's going to be easy, it's going to be but you see this being good. But the timing of someone is we like, we don't want to be, we answer this round. We want, we want perfection in our history. Here, I'm sure the Jews were like, God, you should have taken care of this. Esther should have gotten in front of King Hazarus and fixed it right away. No, God had a plan. So we see, first off, the divine sovereignty of God. Look down to verse number six. The king said, I asked the bank of one, what is thy tish? And it's Shirandi. What is thy rest even? The king mentioned before. Then uh, the answer is, my option and my request is, here's my, my, my request, verse number eight, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and, and Haman come to the bank that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king said. Then went forth that joy with a glad heart. Uh, but when Haman saw Mordecai the king's, at the king's gate, excuse me, in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. So uh, he comes to this banquet, Haman felt this honor. Of course, as always, Haman's just built up inside of him. Oh, I get this honor. I get to go to a banquet with the queen, and it's just me and the king. 
he was so full of himself and he has this, after he gets to this banquet of the wine, he has this false confidence side of him. Uh, so we see God's divine sovereignty. We also see the false confidence that destroys Haman. Haman felt this great honor to attend this banquet. And this was not just with the king and, and Esther, the queen. This was in her own private apartment. This was set up places that no one else really gets to go to. So he felt this false confidence that it was, everything was all good. And nobody else ever had this honor. That was in his mind. And as Haman ate and drank with Ahasuerus and Esther, his confidence grew. And of course, I'm an important man in this kingdom. And uh, when the king asked Esther to, to state this petition, this request, it gave him even more confidence. The queen's asking this thing in front of me. I get to hear this thing that you're just asking the king. And this is a personal matter. Oh, man, I'm including this. And so he's so built up with his false confidence. And at the banquet, we see God's sovereignty again, his plan on this thing. Uh, again, we see God stopping at, uh, Esther from asking this. Esther, I'm sure, thought, I think this is the right time to ask. But then God moves in her heart and don't, don't ask right now. Just, just wait, come, ask him to come back again to another banquet, which seems really odd. But again, they always did banquets. They did these 70 days of just uh, eating and drinking. But God stopped him. And I'm not sure if there's fear inside of her. Uh, I think it was more just God working inside her, directing her. And sometimes God moves in your heart to do something. And sometimes you think this is the right time to do this, or you think this is exactly when God wants me to do this. And the Holy Spirit moves in your heart. No, just wait. Or don't, don't say that thing right now. It doesn't need to be said. Sometimes we have to feel like we get everything out. But God was delaying uh, this thing until the king remembered about Mordecai, until he was not remembered, but was reminded. So we see the false confidence that's built up and. Haman, we also see the sovereign hand of God work in the way that the king says, all right, yeah, I'll go to another banquet. I'll have another party with you. That's fine with me. Uh, you want to do? You want to feed me some more food again? And uh, it seems weird that, except the fact that the king, like, has a not hold to wait. So the king, you finally get a meeting with the president. You get a, with him, gets you, no, no, no. Uh, you get a meeting with the president, and you get all there, and you're, all right, uh, I have this request to ask you. I have this thing I'm hoping that you do for me. And, oh, of course, you know, we need. Uh, how about we have another party? You want to come to my party again? And he would just, I'm sure he would look at you weird like, wait, you wasted all this time, all this money maybe, just ask me to go to another party? And that's what happened here. And, you know, uh, we get another verse of the preparations heart in the ears of the tongue. And, you know, uh, has a red for this evening. All right, calendar clean. We're having another party with the queen. And me and Haman are going to come again. That we see God's hand working. And the last one we see is that, uh, Esther's, uh, I don't know, you call it, Esther's, uh, servants in there, they knew what to do. They had some respect for Mordecai, and they knew Mordecai had because she didn't get four more guys. Someone told them, and they conveyed that message. So they knew she was a Jew. For them not to reveal that to, to Haman, uh, and I'm sure that they could have. So again, we don't know these tenants. They could have had ties fast before this. They wanted to try to come back. really like didn't her. And always, lady, and mother, hand in hand, right? So they like, oh, Esther, like, the she wants it. Esther was better. You don't know everything. Or like, man, Esther's hair much harder to do than Vashti's. We want Vashti back because it just takes too long. I don't know what they had. Who knows? They didn't like her style. But for them not to say anything to the king, again, was God's hand uh, showing their mouth. You see God's hand. So all this time, though, Haman's confidence built up. Oh, yeah. God is, uh, or uh, not God, he worships once. I'm going back to the second banquet. So he's all full of himself. He goes out. He sees Mordecai again, not stand up. Oh, then the anger builds back up. And he's getting upset about the Jews again. And uh, we see that, that confidence that he has is what's going to destroy him. Um, think of King Belshazzar does the same way. He has a great feast. He blasphemes God. The writing of the wall, and that's actually his. So, he can blaspheme the destroys him. 
that confidence that he has. And, of course, that very night that he has this feast is when Babylon is uh, captured and conquered and Belshazzar was slain. got to be very careful. The only place you can place your confidence in God is we place ourselves. We, we've accomplished, we've accomplished We're accomplished at the age of 20. Uh, you know, we're making this much money. Wow. you got to relax and understand that God is one who got me those spots. Look at my GPA. Congrats. I gave you that talent. This one allowed those naps in your brain to come back forth and turn. It's not you done. Well, okay, you work. A guy who builds all this. Careful numbers that you false will deceive. And you think they'll better. But we come think. We built thousand dollars, five thousand, up ten dollars savings upon. Congratulations. You've done everything. You know all the understanding in this world. Uh, and our false comments will destroy us. And that's when you think, I know better than my parents. I know better than my leaders. I know better than my bosses. How they, I can run this company better than any of them. Well, you're obviously running, so you don't better them. And I understand but mistakes. Parents mistake. I know that. I'm a, I know bike mistakes. I don't make mistakes. Better be careful. For, don't have this comment. You think you do the thing knowing. Don't understand. We see, that we see his comment. Number 10. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and uh, Jairus, his, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches. And multitude were in uh, the king, sorry, multitude of children, and all things from the king from him. And we had this to my prince, servants of the king. Haman said, More gay, Esther to let home come with the king, the bet she had brought up myself. Tomorrow I invite unto her also with the king. We see divine sovereignty, we see false comments, we see pride. And again, we talked about this when we very first introduced Haman to this story. Uh, these six things that the Lord hate, these seven are abominations of the Lord. The things that are listed there are a perfect describer of Haman. Uh, a false look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that be swift and going to mischief. All those things. And I didn't list all of them, I understand that. But all those describe him. But pride is the biggest one. A proud look. Here he sees pride. Uh, you know, a famous actor said, one of my chief regrets during years in the theater is that I sit down and watch and spoil himself. I would have myself. I wish it was how good I was. Here we see Haman doing that. He goes... Who, I'm sure his wife already knew this because I'm sure that she heard it over and over again how good this guy was. His children should say, Look, Dad, I've your story. You've told it ten times already more. There's some strike you're telling over again. This one's like, Okay, we know that it's going to be romantic. Like, you know, the man, graduation, whoopee. I'm sure they did that more and more. But he brings them and I got them all done. It was that same attitude that in the power turned with this joyful heart. I'm uh, fresh from this dinner with the king and the queen. And he's like, I'm excited about this next one. Haman goes on this ego trip that. Every time I've read this, like, you're so full of yourself. It upsets me. When you hear people that pat themselves on the back or they're, they always one-up you on a story. Uh, you know, I walked on the moon, all right? Uh, that's a whole nother joke, but that's a whole other side story. But they're all, you'll say, oh, yeah, uh, I broke my leg once. Oh, yeah, I broke both my legs. Okay, congrats. Like, job, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you broke both your legs. You're a loser, all right? Uh, they always one-up you on things. Oh, yeah, well, I just got a, I got a 75 cent race. Like, okay, congrats, man. Can you not just be happy for what I got? And this pride, they're full of themselves. And when I read this story, that's, I get so upset about the, how, how egotistical this man was. And we see that I look here and I see all the personal pronouns that he has. He talks about his friends, his wife, his riches, his children. Uh, he had 10 of them, which we read later on. I think he had 10 sons. I can't remember. Get confused. But the king promoted himself. Uh, or Haman above everybody else. Uh, I think of the rich farmer in Luke 12 the same way. He felt like he had so much stuff. My barns are so full. I have everything that I ever needed. Haman was the same way. Of course, God destroyed that rich farmer the same way. And that rich farmer's favorite word was I. I have built up my barns there. I have filled them. I've done. Not God has done these things. Uh, Haman didn't know that pride go before destruction and a haughty spirit go before a fall. He didn't know that a man's pride will bring him low. You know, anyone who boasts about position or wealth or family or anything else ought to be very careful with that. They ought to heed. John the Baptist said that a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. And anything that we do in this life is coming from God. 
you know, uh, we got to be very careful that, um, you know, many theologians even, uh, as I was studying this, they say that uh, pride is the very essence of sin. And I think pride is tied to pretty much everything that we do in this life wrong. Um, and I think that's probably why pride is the very first thing on what the, these six things that the Lord hate. Uh, pride is what turned Lucifer into Satan, um, where he said, I'll be like the most high. That pride is what destroyed him. And Satan used pride to tempt Eve. He, You'll be as gods. Trying to fill her. Um, pride, though, it, I, pride is the ground in which all other sins grow. It is the parent from which all other sins come. Uh, and we got to be very careful with the pride that we allow in our life. Someone, that is, someone has said that pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. And unless cured from that, pride is a sickness unto death. And be careful with pride. Be careful with pride in your life, that you're not built up. The last thing I see, uh, look verse 9. I'm going to read that one again and then down at the very end of the chapter. Then went Haman forth that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved from him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Look down in verse 13. Uh, said he had all this, again, all these things he talked about. I have all these riches, all this uh, position. But he says, yet all these availeth me much, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Then said Jerish his wife and all his friends unto him, well, let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. <laughs> then go thou merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. The last thing I see that destroyed Haman is his malice. When, when Haman left this king's palace, he was walking on air. Man, I got I to see with the, be with the king and the queen all by myself. But then he saw Mordecai. He saw Mordecai not stand against that law that he got, or the decree that was made. Everybody has to bow down to Haman. And he had to have a law made because no one respected him. He had to be, they had to be forced into respect. And uh, on the previous occasion, Mordecai had refused to bow down to him. But now he's, he's not just not bowing down. Now Mordecai is standing and he's trying to be, he's looking at him eye to eye. And again, Mordecai and, and Haman being enemies, uh, he's like, I'm not going to stand, I'm going to stand. And, uh, you know, uh, with, with respect towards other people, I remember one time, <clears throat> this was on five or six years ago, I went to hear Marcus Luttrell speak. Marcus Luttrell would be Lone Survivor, if you don't know who that is. Uh, I mean, they made a movie about it, but he's not the actor, all right, uh, I don't know who that was. Either way, it doesn't matter. Mark Luttrell was the true story where he survived uh, by himself in, uh, I feel like it was Iraq, Afghanistan. Either way, I went to go hear him speak. And of course, when he came out on stage, what did everybody do? They all stood up. They all clapped. They had respect for him because that was an earned respect for him to survive through that and the, the leadership that he took to do all those things. You know, uh, you know, and maybe even, a, a, again, if President Biden came in here, I would show him the utmost respect because he's the president of the United States. Now, before he became president, I don't think I would have. No, I know I wouldn't have, but he is a president now. I'm going to give him that respect. And, you know, Haman, when he doesn't see uh, Mordecai standing, it was not standing for respect. He was standing because I'm not going to bow to you. And Haman was full of indignation. His hatred for the Jews uh, that he had was just, he hated all the Jews in general. But Mordecai, this was something that had poisoned him. He, was, he couldn't enjoy even talking about his greatness. All these good things I did, it's nothing because Mordecai. He allowed this hatred, this malice, this bitterness uh, to be built up. 
he said, yet all this availed me nothing. As long as Mordecai the Jew, uh, I see Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Malice is that deep-seated hatred that brings delight only if our enemy suffers and pain if they succeed. Malice can never forgive. It must always take revenge. Malice, I says, has a good memory for hurts and a bad memory for kindness. Uh, Paul compares malice, this hatred in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, to yeast. Because like yeast, malice begins so small but gradually grows and defiles everything it touches. You gotta be very careful of malice. Sometimes we like bitterness, something has done wrong, and hold that to them for as long as we can. And if we can see that we're so happy, and they succeed so upset, we like malice. And the previous thing about malice is to act. It has to express itself. Uh, you know, be very careful. You know, when you uh, when you shoot at your enemy, sometimes those things ricochet and come back and hurt him. And that's what happened to Damon. He heals stuff and more friends. They're feeding that ear, feeding us, put them some ghosts, draw him, them. And they already just fat. Damon infected his infected his friends with this hatred for the Jews. And they said, well, go ask the king to, if you can kill him. And, and that's what happens. And uh, he makes up something. And thankfully, we see in the next chapter, which we'll get next week, that God uh, brings Mordecai to Hazahurus and the story there. And um, we'll understand why Esther was delayed to give her request. But Haman wasn't someone who wasted time. He's like, all right, let's build the gallows tonight. So he said, let's start commissioning them to get built. And he said, uh, we're going to build them. Uh, the 50 cubits, I think, in there, but roughly 75 feet tall. These are giant. So you got like a seven-story building that he's building for these gallows. And I don't know if it was on top of something. But either way, it was 75 feet tall to where they could see everything that was going on. He wanted to use Mordecai's execution to frighten the Jews, to convince them that the king means business. He's going to destroy the Jews. You better run because we're going to destroy you. Get out of our kingdom. You're going to have to go as far as Ethiopia, as far as India to get, escape us, but you better run. And I'm going to, pair, I'm going to kill the, the most prominent one that you know. I'm going to kill Mordecai, and I'm going to leave uh, you in, in terror. And, um, you know, either way, this, this instrument they use is to destroy Haman, uh, Haman's, it would be destroy Haman's own execution. You know, uh, we see, again, Esther, this one, the hidden God. We see God not present. We think he's going to destroy Mordecai. He's building these gallows that are giant. Where is God? Where is he? But God works. Again, in God's timing, God works. Chapter 6, well, we'll see that. We see that. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. It says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. We see that. We see that God is in control, that God will not allow the wicked to continue in their evil. And they will be judged for that wrong. And sometimes we think we don't know exactly when or how. It could be all the way till eternity. But sometimes God takes care of that judgment. He will do that with Haman. I love the verse in there, he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. Uh, again, that rope that Haman is gathering to kill the Jews is what it's going to eventually kill him. And we'll see how God sounds the alarm, how God cares for the people next week. Uh, but Haman doesn't want to listen to those alarms being sounded. Um, and God will care for his people.